Today's reading is from Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Thank you for that reading. So how many of you woke up this morning and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like that person or that person or that other person? How many of you at least thought it? Come on. (laughs) Somewhere in there. (laughs) So a good chunk of my childhood and adolescence was spent memorizing one-liners from whatever the popular comedy movies or shows were of that year. This is just how we spent a lot of time, for whatever reason. We would watch and memorize these one-liners from our favorite movies so that we could recite them back to each other at both appropriate and often inappropriate times, usually when we were in school or should have been doing other things. So many of these one-liners and quotes are stuck in my mind today that I often wonder if there's room in there for the important things For example, I can't tell you my dad's new cell phone number. I can't tell you the number to the front office of the church. But I can almost guarantee you that I still have at least 50% of the movie Billy Madison committed to memory. Now, if you don't know what that is, you're not missing out on anything. But if you do know, you know why it's stuck there. These were just stories and lines that were worth repeating. For no other reason other than the fact that they connected us to other people at a particular point in time. These movie quotes have no other value except for that. They are just a memory that lives on about the people that we spent time with. About the ways that we spent our time maybe when we should have been doing other things. We heard a little bit about that last week. Now, thankfully, the Gospels are full of stories worth repeating that for sure have value for us. And we often hear these familiar stories over and over again, and yet each time, perhaps, we'll learn something new, we'll remember something important. The Spirit will bring something different to light when we hear these familiar stories. So today we're beginning a new sermon series called... Stories worth repeating. These are stories from the gospel accounts. Maybe you've heard them before. Maybe you haven't. And I'm hoping that today and over the course of this sermon series, everyone will learn something new. The scripture that we heard just a few minutes ago about a Pharisee and a tax collector, they were the main characters in there, that was taught by Jesus through a parable. 
Parables were short stories, and they were Jesus' primary ways of teaching to us. Jesus loved stories more so than stories. Jesus seemed to love questions and puzzles more than he loved concrete and direct answers. In fact, some theologians think that Jesus maybe only answered three to seven questions directly. Other questions were answered through these fun stories called parables, And sometimes, more often than not, I think, he answered questions with more questions. In fact, I think if Jesus were around today, he would probably forego the SOLs. If you're a teacher, you know what they are, the Virginia Standards of Learning Assessments. I think Jesus would probably forego those, at least in some subjects, maybe maybe not all. And in their place, I think that he would offer a narrative option that would invite the students to be part of forming the answers and the conclusions. Because that is what parables do. They invite us all to be part of the story, to be part of the interpretive process, and to come to some sort of story or conclusion together. Now, that might seem risky if you're a teacher or a parent or anyone else who likes order and um, knowns in your life. However, we can't argue with the fact that Jesus used parables as his primary teaching vehicles. So in our parable today, we're looking at two people. They're not actually people. These are caricatures. These are exaggerations of of a stereotype that already existed. We have a Pharisee and we have a tax collector. And the Pharisee in our story that we heard He appears to be a smug and self-righteous man. He's seemingly unaware of his need for God's mercy, for God's grace. After all, he tells us that he's glad he's not you and he's glad he's not me and he's certainly glad that he's not you over there either. And then he went on to tell us that, that he has good conduct grades. As a matter of fact, God, I went over and above in my behavior. I gave more than I needed to and I fasted more often than you ask. So he's one caricature. And then we have the tax collector. And we know that tax collectors are despised in their community. They're seen as traitors. He was despised because he was working for the occupying force. He was an employee of Rome. He was making money off the backs of his own people. And that guy, the tax collector, he knew he was a sinner. He knew what he was doing was wrong. And he knew when he went into the temple to pray that all he could really do is just, we're told that he kind of was beating on his chest, which is kind of an act that people would do sometimes when they were grieving, and ask God for mercy. So we have a self-righteous man who believes that he is better because he's doing all the right things, and we have a self-admittant sinner who knows he's a sinner and asks for mercy. Who do you relate to in the story Who do you align with? Who do you feel sympathy for? Do you hold contempt for either character in the story? Is there one that you would rather be? Now, a traditional reading of this parable reminds us often to not be like the Pharisee, to not be like that self-righteous man believing that our religion or our good works make us better than anyone else. This line of thinking tells us that it is better to be a sinner who knows that we are a sinner 
than it is to be a pious religious person whose pride leaves them blind to their own sinful nature. And Christian theology, if you're a Christian, tells us that we all have a sinful nature. This is not something we can escape or get rid of on our own. And then the parable, do you want to open your scripture? It's in Luke chapter 18. I believe it begins in verse 9. It ends with the tax collector walking away justified, which means made right before God. And it seems to say that the Pharisee is not. So let's read that again quickly. I tell you this, the man, meaning the tax collector, went down to his home justified rather than the other. And then Jesus goes on to say, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. It's a parable about humility and self-righteousness. It's a pretty simple summary of the main way the parable is often taught in Christian circles. And there is a lot to be said for that interpretation and a lot of scriptural truths that we can glean and walk away with. And yet, the beautiful thing about parables is that they are stories that are open to interpretation and the best parables will leave us with more questions and hopefully more grace than they will with concrete answers. So I invite us today to look at an alternative or interpretation of this parable. So to do so, I need to invite you to think about the Pharisee for a second in a more positive light. Are you able to do that? The Pharisee, the guy who said he's glad he's not you. Let's look at him in a, in a more positive light for a second. This is a man who, by all accounts, when it comes to outward behavior and doing what is right and following the law and living according to the moral code, he was doing all of the right things and then some. In fact, he is doing exactly what he has been taught probably by his parents, his grandparents, his community of faith, his house of worship. He is taught, he is doing exactly what he was taught to do to be a good person, a moral person, a person in right standing before God. In fact, we're told that the Pharisee in our, in our passage here gives away tithes even more than what is called for. It was required to tithe on certain seeds and spices, but in our passage it says that the, the Pharisee was tithing on all of his income. That wasn't re- required, but he was doing it. And so we read it, and it does appear he's being a little bit arrogant. Hey, God. This is what I'm doing. All of these things, and then some, so much better than these other people. That might be how we read it. That's kind of what it sounds like, I think. However, he was a Pharisee. You know who else was a Pharisee before he was a Christian? The Apostle Paul, who writes most of the New Testament. If we look up Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, We hear the Apostle Paul speaking in a similar language. Apostle Paul says, If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. I know it all. As to righteousness under the law, blameless, Paul says. And then he goes on to recount how 
He now counts that all as a loss because in coming to know Christ and, and, and the grace of the gospel, blah, blah, blah. However, if you were to just pull out that little snippet of scripture, you would hear Paul speaking oddly similarly to the Pharisee in our passage. So perhaps, and again, I'm just throwing out an alternative here, the Pharisee's words, while they do seem arrogant to us, especially when he's talking about being glad he's not us, maybe this was just a customary way of praying. Maybe it was part of his religious practices, his, his rituals. His pra- maybe it was an ingrained prayer practice. Perhaps. Perhaps he was simply saying, God, I'm so thankful that this is who you made me to be. Here's who I am, God, and here's how I'm doing my best to try to please you. He could just be doing what he thinks is right and has been taught is right. In fact, here is a common prayer. It's a Jewish blessings prayer that was written about the year 200. And this is a prayer that is still taught today, even in some Jewish schools, to young boys. This is a benediction that Jewish men are taught to pray three times a day. And some still pray today. Here it goes. Blessed be you, Lord, who did not make me a Gentile. Blessed be you, Lord, who did not make me uneducated. Blessed be you, Lord, who did not make me a woman. Triggered. Triggered. That is a prayer that is prayed three times a day and still sometimes taught in schools today. So maybe, perhaps, the Pharisee isn't as big of a jerk as he might seem initially. Maybe he is. I don't know. Just a different interpretation. And what about that tax collector that we often love? Because he knew he he needed God. He knew he needed God's mercy. He prays for it. He asks for it. He knows he can ask for nothing else. What about him? He clearly knows he's wrong when he enters the temple to pray. But... Did he change after that? Did he repent? Or did he continue living as a tax collector, taking advantage of his own people? The parable doesn't tell us that. But if this was his job, if this was how he was supporting his family, his loved ones making a living, and the parable doesn't tell us he quit after this encounter, this prayer then can we assume that the tax collector kept his job and he kept right on doing the things that he knew were at odds with God's justice? So now, who do you relate to? The Pharisee who was living an upright life, who was giving more than he should, perhaps he was giving more to take care of the people in his community that the tax collector was ripping off. Or do we relate to the tax collector who knows that it is wrong to be in cahoots with the Roman Empire, who knows that it is wrong to take advantage of people and to live a lavish life likely at their expense due to the connections he has, knows it's wrong and yet continues to do it anyway? Who do you relate to now? Maybe it's not one or the other, I wonder. I wonder if the point of the parable is to get us to see ourselves in both characters. 
to get us to see that there are times when we too can be smug and self-righteous, believing that our religion or our good living or our prayers or coming to church or loving our neighbor even makes us better than someone else. And maybe too we are like the unrepentant sinner, knowing absolutely that we are in need of God's mercy and we are grieved to tears because of it, but still living in ways that are at odds with God's justice. Because I believe this is a parable that is showing us that we can and often are both caricatures at times. I believe that this is a parable about belonging. And I also believe that the ending of this parable might even be different than we have been taught to read it as. So I want you to open again to Luke 18. We're in 18 or 19. Luke 18. Okay. The traditional interpretation of this parable ends with the tax collector being the humble hero and the Pharisee walking away empty. It says this. The tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other. So that would seem to imply to us that the tax collector was made right in God's standing and the Pharisee was not. Would you agree with that? However, the word in Greek for rather is a preposition, and the preposition is para, as in parable, as in parallel, as in paradox. Para is the word for rather. And in Greek, it can mean rather, like we just read it. But the word para can also mean alongside. The preposition para can also mean because of. So now let's read the ending with that new understanding. I tell you, the tax collector went down to his home justified alongside the Pharisee. I tell you, the tax collector went down to his home justified because of the Pharisee. Because of the Pharisee? That one might be difficult. However, that would also make sense because this is a very Jewish parable. And it would make sense that the Pharisee believed that his behavior was covering other people as well. Judaism, you see, is a communal religion. It's about the fact that we are doing this whole thing together. We are interdependent and interconnected, and we belong to each other. It's a communal religion, not an individualistic religion. Christianity, too, is a communal religion. Though I think we lose that more often than we get it. Members rise and fall together in Judaism. The Pharisee and the tax collector alongside each other. One person's harm, one person's hurt can hurt an entire community. One person's wrongdoing can hurt a lot of people. And two, one person's love and generosity and willingness to go over and above can bring healing to a lot of people, some restoration even. Neither caricatures or people are God, but they still belong to each other and their actions, for better or for worse, impact 
each other, and the community at large. Think about the prayers we are taught, the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us, give us. Not just forgive me, not just give me. Communal religion. We belong to each other. That's what I think the parable is about. Seeing ourselves in all the caricatures, but also recognizing we belong to each other for better or for worse. Individualism, radical individualism, is a modern Western phenomenon, and it has little to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel says that we are all sinners. We are all characters and caricatures in one way or another. And still, that God's grace is sufficient. That God's grace covers it. That God's grace invites us into that belonging and that restoration process with God and with each other. You see, your sin might be different than mine. And the way that you give back to God and God's church and how you uh, participate in the community of believers might be different than mine. And yet we still belong to each other and we can't escape each other. And we are here together until the end of times, like it or not. This is a parable about belonging and interdependence and seeing the best of ourselves and the worst of ourselves in the caricatures in the parable and in the caricatures that we define and bring to life in our everyday life. We belong to each other. Let us believe it. Let us live it.